Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny! seen are not the results of mass hysteria. First eyewitness accounts of this grisly development came from people who were understandably frightened and almost incoherent. Officials and newsmen at first discounted those eyewitness descriptions as being beyond belief. However, the reports persisted. Medical examinations of some of the victims bore out the fact that they had been partially devoured. I think we have some late words of just arriving, and I'll interrupt to bring this to you. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to believe what we're reporting to you, but it does seem to be a fact. Welcome to Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Sierra. I'm Erica. Hey, I'm Steve. And today we're going to be talking about the 1968 film Night of the Living Dead. So, Again. <laughs> yeah. Our uh, computer stopped recording, so this is our second go through. So we'll try to make it just as good. Bear with us. <laughs> All right. Night of the Living Dead was released in 1968. It was directed by George A. Romero and written by George A. Romero and John Russo. It follows a girl named Barbara who's visiting a cemetery with her brother Johnny to visit her dad's grave. Um, Look, now you don't have to sound stupid. Yeah. Uh, Gotta love second tries. Johnny starts taunting Barbara and... They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah. And... I've got that down pat, man. <laughs> you do. You do good. Johnny, you're acting like a child. <laughs> you're ignorant. You're ignorant, Johnny. <laughs> um, Johnny ends up getting attacked by the undead. Um, ghouls, as they call them in this movie, they're not referred to as zombies. That looks like Spider-Man. It does. You look like Spider-Man. They're not uh, referred to as zombies in this movie. They're referred to as ghouls or flesh eaters. Um, Barbara ends up making it to a house where she meets Ben. Um, ben protects her. They come to meet Mr. and Mrs. Cooper and Judy and Tom, a younger couple. And, and the Mr. Movie... and Mr. Cooper's daughter. Too. Yeah, who's sick in the basement. And the movie pretty much becomes like a fight for survival, and it shows the beginning 
of the outbreak and how they're fighting to survive and kind of that starting conflict with each other. Alright, so uh, the movie was made with the budget of $114,000 and it made $30 million, which um, in today's money, uh, today it would be the budget Inflation. was yeah, $798,000 and it would have made $210 million, which was 263 times more than what the budget was. That's what I'm talking about. Ben got it. (laughs) The movie, um, it was a first for a lot of things. Uh, One of the things that it was the first for that we'll jump into is it was the first take on modern zombies. George Romero, uh, when he made the film, they decided to take inspiration from the Haitian and Caribbean zombies, but he wanted to make it his own version of it. To where he didn't want to refer to them as zombies. That's why they call them ghouls and flesh eaters. Uh, he wanted to make his own thing. But still draw inspiration. So he brought in the cannibalistic element. Um, the fact that you need to destroy the brain. The fact that they're dead and risen again. Which it is a totally new And they cake. can't they can't run. Yeah. One of the earlier concepts too was um, aliens. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, the movie. It Fuck started aliens. out as an idea between John Russo and... George Romero called Monster Flick, and it had to do with aliens coming to Earth, and they were hot rod aliens. Yeah, and it was I'm so like happy they <laughs> they went with the other direction, man. Yeah. Imagine? Did you imagine no Night of the Living Dead? I'm imagine picturing that? like the we way probably wouldn't have zombies today. We wouldn't have a lot of horror movies because yeah. this it movie shaped a lot. Yeah, this movie had a lot of impact on the horror industry, which we'll dive into a little bit more. But um. Yeah, no, it, it was the first incarnation of that, and, I mean, you think zombie today, that's the first thing you think of, is George Romero's take on zombies. Yeah, I Absolutely. mean, that, he, that I mean, he, he built an entire career based on his, uh, around his zombie movies. This mm-hmm. was the first zombie movie I ever saw. I remember my cousin Nick and I, we were young, and he had it on VHS, and, like, after seeing it, like, I obsessed about it for, like, over a week. I only you know, watched it on never sci-fi. seen something like that. Yeah, um, one thing I want to jump into, um, Siri, you brought it up when we just had our first go through of recording. Um, it was a practice round. Uh, one thing that stood out to me a lot with this movie and it made it so enjoyable. So, uh, before I get into that, we'll talk about zombies have been so overdone lately and we've all been on the same page with that. We've talked about it in past episodes. Like, yeah, it like comes up like we we could be discussing like, I don't fucking know. It takes a lot. A slasher movie. We'd be like, we fucking hate zombies. It takes a lot to make a successful zombie movie um, because so many ideas are kind of just recycled, but it's like making the same movie over and over again. To go back I mean, if you put your own twist on it, then you can make it enjoyable. I don't want to say that every single zombie movie or anything zombie thing sucks, but you kind of see, like, a recycling of ideas, and they all stem back to George Romero's films. Mm -hmm. So to go back and see kind of where it started, and it's kind of like when you watch, like, a remake of something, and it's never as good as the original. Mm -hmm. This is the original. This is, like... Gold. Yeah. This, this is the standard that set everything. every other everything else in motion. So to go back and watch this movie now that I'm not saying zombies alone were the only reason that this movie was good because this movie had a lot of good qualities in it. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. But 
if we're talking in terms of like the undead, just to get that out of the way, it's kind of like it was a breath of fresh air while being the first of its mm-hmm. kind. Yeah, rewatching this, um, I'm very open about my hatred for zombies, and I think like six years ago, if you talked to me, I probably would have been like, "Yeah, I love zombies." Uh, it's it's like totally like thank you Walking Dead you fucking assholes, <laughs> um, but watching rewatching this movie it just gives you like a new appreciation for it and uh, you can just see the the work and I think what makes this movie so successful is how well they put what six characters six main characters into a film and developed every single one of them to be important characters. Um, whereas, like, I feel like a lot of zombie movies, even later George, George Romero movies, they introduce all of these characters and, like, half of them are not important to the plot. They're kind of throwaway Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. the thing is that it makes it boring and it makes it, like, you know, and, and that goes for the, all the zombie TV shows as well. There's characters that you don't give a fuck about and it, it, you kind of, you it, kind it of takes know, your interests away. You kind of know when watching them that, like... They're gonna okay, die. Okay, they're not important. They're gonna die. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where you have these six characters, and the thing with this movie is, I haven't watched it since I was, like, really young. So going into it, I didn't really remember the characters or any, like, elements of the film, really. So to go back and watch it, and they introduce these characters, and I know their names, their strengths, their weaknesses, because you had brought up here, they all have their strengths, they all have their weaknesses, and they all have a different way that they're dealing with the zombies. The zombies. Like, Barbara is in this, like, catatonic state where she's kind of just in shock. She, she's overwhelmed with fear, yeah. honestly. And and Ben, you know, Ben's thrown into this to this situation and he takes total charge. Mm-hmm. He's not going to die. He's not He's not going to let these things take him and he's not going to let them take anybody. He's going to do his best to protect the people that he's with. And these are strangers. So that says a lot about his character, I think. Um, Mr. Cooper is not afraid to throw anybody out under a fucking bus, as long as it saves him. His wife has openly admitted to a very unhappy marriage. Um, she thinks, she, she clearly does not think very highly of her husband, which I don't blame her. He's a fucking scumbag. And I think that Mrs. Cooper is being very strong, considering that her daughter is dying in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's impressive to see, to, to set up six different characters that are dealing with things so, so differently. Well, I think what's unique about this also is pretty much any zombie thing you watch right now, the way you get that characterization is they explain like, oh, this is what I did before and, you know, and I used to have really a family. That, yeah. This, you get no backstory on these characters other than this is them now, this is And this is, is, what is they're how they're doing. dealing with the situation exactly. now. Exactly. And you, you get to know them without knowing anything about them, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, exactly. It, it's a really the only way. The only information you get prior to them being in the house is what they were doing on their way to the house. Exactly. So we know that Judith and Tom were going swimming at the lake. We know that the Coopers were looking for a motel for the night. We know that Barbara was visiting the cemetery with her brother. We know that Ben was at the diner and and saw a rig crash. Mm-hmm. And then he saw the zombies and he went to the first house he found. So we know what they were up to prior to that, but we don't know anything about their lives other than that. Yeah. But like that but this is what I'm talking about. Like you watch this movie once and you you take in that information where a lot of information is thrown away. It's not important. But the all this information is important because through the whole movie, they're looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. So 
Where were you guys? Where's your car? How close is it? Can we get to it? Are we able to get gas in it? Does it, is it, is it drivable? Is it broken? Do you have the keys? The whole thing is like, and, and that's, that's like the continuous thing is how are we going to get out of here together and make it make sense? What's the most logical explanation? Well, I think what's good too is this movie, it's probably the most realistic you could get with this situation. Um, you don't have this, like, strong character that's, like, just Military. mowing down zombies. Like, everybody is just, like, an everyday person. And they're trying to be realistic with and, the situation. Yeah. And you get, like, the news reportings, which um, a lot of this movie is, like, the radio broadcast, the news reportings, and it makes it feel like you're there. It's real. And yeah. it's real. Mm-hmm. Like, Siri, you had said when we were just watching it, like, imagine this coming on the TV today. It'd be freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, radio. the silent the radio. assassins are attacking. Yeah. <laughs> like when you're driving, so you ever be driving and you hear one the of the weather, warning? The weather warning. Yeah. You're like, Jesus Christ, they're here. They're it's finally here. And then they're like, this is a test. And you're like, God damn I am going to bring up, there is a big difference in this movie that I noticed from these zombies or ghouls to like modern day zombies is the fear of um, light or like... I've never like, noticed it. Wasn't light, it was like fire. No, it was any light. That's why he turned the headlights on to keep them away from the house. Gotcha. So it, which I've that's never, different. that's not, I've never seen that in another zombie movie, at yeah. least not a more modern one, which I think I, is kind of interesting. It's a cool way to be able to, um, not necessarily protect yourself, but help you manipulate them to be where you need them to be yeah. so you can get out. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something that they should definitely bring back in a modern... If if they're going to continue the zombie craze, I think that it would be... Go back um, to the roots. Yeah, go back to the roots. But, like, put your own spin on it, but go back to the roots. Um, I think of, of the modern zombie circles, I think that the portrayal of zombies, as much as I'm not a huge fan of the show at this point, I think the best zombie portrayal in modern times is probably The Walking Dead. Well, the reason behind that, that too, is that with their zombies, they drew direct inspiration. Um, If you watch, like, um, there's, like, reportings and stuff, or interviews, I guess, with, like, the showrunners and uh, the people involved in making it, and they have said that they watched this movie and used that as their standard. So, like, Mm -hmm. no zombie in that show walks faster than the zombies in this movie. Exactly. Stuff like that. So, I think that that their zombies themselves are probably the best portrayal, but I think where The Walking Dead goes, it's not horror, it's drama. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is fine, if that's what, you know, they want to do. I just think it would be really cool to see a modern zombie movie that really does stick with the horror and the um, anxiety that this movie causes, and uh, I mean, being locked up in a house surrounded by these creatures, that's a, that's a, in real life, that's a terrifying situation. And uh, I love the way that they scavenge through the house to find what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it makes it extremely realistic because what are you going to do? You're stuck in your house. You can't leave. You don't have a car. Um, you know, there there's nothing you can do. You, you've got the people you have with you and you have the stuff in your house. What are you going to do? How are you going to survive? be put in that situation and tell me that's not scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's absolutely terrifying. And I think they would have survived if uh Mr. Cooper would have been willing to work with Ben. Yeah. They could have no, honestly, no, the house up really good. I think I think that they should have listened to Mr. Cooper because clearly that was the safest place. Ben sur- Ben survived the night in the basement. 
It, true, true. They should but, have, like, honestly, I think he was kind of right at the end of the day. I yeah. mean, it would have made a very Cooper boring movie. all the fuck-ups leading up to that point, though, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, if they, he would have, like, helped out, I felt like it would have been barricaded a little better. Because you got to think, like, Ben pretty much did that all by himself. Oh, yeah. he did do it all by himself with, like, yeah. a little help from Tom later on. Um, but, you know, there's another thing to consider with why the zombies came and hoarded there was Barbara. She was hysterical and screaming and that noise. I said this. You also have to consider Ben was shooting guns off. Yeah. When it wasn't necessary for him to go and do that. No, it wasn't. So they're making all this unnecessary noise and they're attracting. And and like any zombie movie, that is the one trait that has stayed. Zombies are attracted to sound. But that's how they're going to find you. That adds to the realism too, though, because Mm -hmm. this is the, when it's first starting, you don't know that. Exactly. And that's the thing. And, and as the news reports come out, every news report and every radio alert, all those, they give you a little bit more information. So they're like, oh, well, the first one you hear, oh, we had a cadaver. It had no limbs. But, uh, early this morning, the eyes opened and it started moving. I think that the radio broadcasts and the TV giving them, like, the, the uh, information information on what's going on. I think that that was such a cool device. In well, you know, absolutely, yeah. Well, you, you, know. you have to think, you know, nowadays, I know that it's ridiculous. Like, I would love, I think it would be really crazy to be in a zombie apocalypse. But <laughs> not, if, if it were to be realistically possible for this to happen, you know, we don't rely on television for our information anymore. We don't rely on the radio. Like we'd have to go back to that because at some point the internet's gonna go, and yeah. you're gonna you're gonna lose you're gonna lose your your cell phones more than likely, uh, you know. And at some point, it'll probably not, not even television's gonna help you because you're probably gonna lose electricity. You're gonna be digging in your Everything, fucking basements yeah. for your grandpa's fucking battery operated radio, and that's what you're gonna have, you know. So uh, I think I think that there's a definite possibility to make a modern zombie movie where you are down to just the bareness the bear the bare necessities and i think that that would actually be a really cool film to see to see people who are so reliant on today's technology not have it and have to deal with this outbreak like they did in 1960 so many people would be so fucked though because it'd be awesome i don't think they realize that like they're not the stupids but even if you have like generators Mm mm-hmm you're still not going to get TV. But you're also attracting noise by doing that. Exactly. So do you risk... And that's that's another thing, is this movie is risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. Are you going to risk making a sound with a gun because maybe you can make it to the gas tank? Or are you going to stay in the house and hope that if you're quiet enough, they're not they're going to leave? You know, what's what's the greater reward in that situation? Are you going to yeah. make it to the, to, to the rescue spot? Or should you just stay in the house and hope that rescue comes to find you? What is the greater reward there? And I think that's what I, makes the First off, so I've important. seen, despite this movie, I've seen enough zombie movies to know you don't always trust the rescue people. Yeah. yeah. They're shady as fuck. A, a 20, wait, 28, 28 days 28 later. Days yeah. Later. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, don't trust them. Get your own fucking fortress and just man up. Dr. Grimes, your entire staff, I know, has been working very hard to find some solution to these things that are happening. Do you have any answers at this time? Yes, we have some answers. Uh, but first, let me stress the importance of seeking medical attention for anyone who's been injured in any way. We don't know yet uh, what complications might result from such injuries. In the cold room at the university, uh, we had a cadaver. A cadaver from uh, which all four limbs had been amputated. Sometime early this morning, it opened its eyes and began to move its trunk. It was dead, 
But it opened its eyes and tried to move. The body should be disposed of at once, preferably by cremation. Well, how long after death, then, does the body become reactivated? It's only a matter of minutes. Minutes? Well, that doesn't give people time to make any arrangements. Oh, you're right. It doesn't give them time to make funeral arrangements. The bodies must be carried to the street and, and, and burned. Uh, they must be burned immediately. Soak them with gasoline and burn them. The bereaved will have to forego the dubious comforts that a funeral service will give. Uh, they're just dead flesh and dangerous. This movie went through a lot of rewrites. Um, one rewrite that they had was Barbara's character was originally going to be a stronger role. Which I would have they, liked to see that. When they remade it in yeah. 1990, uh, they they did expand her role. Shout out to Bill Mulder! <laughs> Um, another change that they did too, and this is probably the biggest one. Originally, the role of Ben was written as a white trucker and Dwayne Jones, who played Ben, tried out for the role and they were so like blown away by how well he did that they rewrote the role for him. Now, even though they rewrote the role for him, he was still portrayed as an angry person, but he was worried about how that would come off being... A black man in the 60s, you know. Mm-hmm. This was at a time where America was still extremely divided. Um, this was still, well, like, the civil rights movements and everything were going on. So that was another first for this movie was they – this was one of the first movies that cast a black lead actor mm-hmm. as, like, the main protagonist of the movie. Um, so they rewrote his character. Uh, they made him, like – which I, I think it was good because if Ben was angry, like, who are you rooting for? Yeah. If if he was just a dick, just like Mr. Cooper. Yeah. Um, it, it gave you a hero in the movie. And honestly, I'm glad that they went that r- route because Ben, in my opinion, is the best part of this movie. Absolutely. And the actor Dwayne Jones was amazing, yeah. fucking killed it. I could not movie. picture any other portrayal of this character other than him. Um, He, he did fucking great. Now, there were, like, uh, talks later on. First off... <clears throat> Uh, there was a lot of talks that this movie was a symbolism for, like, the civil rights movement. Um, for example, the fact that Ben's character was shot at the end without them even checking if he was alive or dead or anything. Like, or anything, just, yeah. They didn't yeah. care. They saw him and they shot. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, questions asked. Um, his casting was right around the time where Martin Luther King was assassinated. So there was a lot of questions asked about that. And George Romero actually like really took offense to it and he was like that had nothing to do with it Dwayne Jones got this part because he was the best fit for this part it seems like um the the best man's gonna get the part you know yeah exactly and I'm glad that Romero approached it that way and didn't use that as like I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if you take that from it though Mm -mm. I think that that if you learn something from this film about civil rights I think that that's that's a good thing to take away from it. Yeah, you're going to interpret, and not just this movie, but any form of media. You definitely get vibes you watching in, it like that, though. You, you interpret it in different ways. That's mm-hmm. any form of media, music, movies, any kind of literature. You can take your own things out of it. But I do appreciate that George Romero, because there's a lot of these movies that these like fan theories come up, and the makers of it are just like, yeah, that was my intention the whole time, and you're kind of like, yeah, you oh, probably shush. just went with it. You're because just jumping good. on the baby. I'm glad that George Romero stood up for for it and said, no, absolutely well, not. Well, and that's the he thing, too, is saying, yeah. like, oh, 
I hired him because he's a black man and I wanted to, to make a point for civil rights. I think that that would kind of take away from the actor saying like, okay, you weren't the best, but we hired you because. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. he's an amazing actor. Honestly, out of the, we, we've covered a lot. We always seem to like the, the, the pre sixties films other than the fifties. Sorry, Erica. Um, <laughs> We, we tend to really lean towards those movies, um, as a whole. I, I can't speak for Steven because he was, you weren't on our older episode, the majority of them, you weren't available yeah. at that point. But when we, we covered them, we all leaned towards those movies. And the, the, um, acting he did in this film is probably the top two acting of all of the films all we those, covered yeah. from the 1930s on, or mm-hmm. 1920s on. Um, like hands down, I don't even have to think about it. He's top two out of all of them. Second, probably being, in my opinion, the woman from Carnival of Souls. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, for sure. I agree with you, but it, it's kind of a bummer that he wasn't in more because I, yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. the thing is he looks like looking at him, he looks familiar. Like I was like, oh, Dylan, what, what else has he been in? You know, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in things. Um, and Dylan's like, he's really not done much. No, yeah. that, that's a bummer because he is a great actor and, and for him to be in this movie, but I'm assuming probably at its time it probably isn't, it was probably was not as popular as it is today. Oh, it was. It, it was? was? It was big. So it's like, well, how did you not get into more movies? Maybe he just decided it wasn't it was for big, him. Yeah, I don't know. It was big in the sense that it was the first for a lot of things. Now, are there um, any um, actors and actresses from this movie that are still alive today? That's sure. a good question. It's not that old. Like, I mean, like, it's old, but, like, there should, like, uh, I'm sure Jones. that a lot of them are probably dying at this point because, like, Texas James on that. Uh, really Judith, Judith O'Dea, who played Barbara, is still alive. Ooh, Barbara. Uh, Marilyn Eastman, who played Mrs. Cooper. I'm sure the daughter's probably still alive. Uh, Judith Ridley, who played Judy. Yep, the daughter's still alive. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, another thing that this was the first for this movie. Um, or hold on, I don't want to. I don't want to get to that yet. Uh, another theory, as far as if we're talking about like themes in the movie, another theory for this movie was that it was a symbolism for the Vietnam War, which was going on at the time. Um, Explain. <laughs> uh. Kind of just like, not symbolism really, but kind of like the carnage that was going on because this movie was, you know, well, you know, that tends to happen during war times though, is that a lot of times the movies get. Yeah, I mean, you see it in German expressionism. expressionism. You know, I I think that that's something that tends to happen because people are, during war times, especially Vietnam, it was such a controversial war due to the drafting and all that. Um, I think that there's a lot of fear in, uh, in America for sure. And, and I think that people feed off of that. And I think that that type of fear, there's got to be some way to express it or not, not even necessarily fear, but like, you know, the knowledge of what was going on in Vietnam and, and what, what the, the soldiers were going through, what the people they were going through, I think, you know, definitely inspires some sort of horror. Yeah. And I think that there's got to be some way to, to express that. Fear well, and that horror. The uh, more more on this, uh, the newsreels that were giving, mm-hmm. like the black and white newsreels that were kind of giving updates on everything. Uh, I was very reminiscent to Vietnam War. Also, uh, 
there's been like theories that the silent ghouls were kind of meant to represent like the silent American citizens who kind of just followed along with Let the war. Go. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't know if they were very my, silent. I feel like yeah. everybody protested Vietnam like motherfuckers. Well, you know what? No, that make that makes sense as to why they're calling them now the um because there are a couple of times in the early broadcast and they reference silent assassins. Yeah. And if you think about it, like, it was you know, someone like blindly following into war and going over to kill, I kind of just made that connection now that you said that. Yeah. Do you I think mean, maybe it was, like, a way to try and, like, blame something, though, like, opposed to... Be- obviously, they weren't assassins. Very obviously... There was something wrong with these people right from the get-go. Yeah, but that's what they and were calling And it's almost like, first. are they good? Yeah, are they going to though? Is is it like their way of trying to create propaganda to place blame somewhere? Or it could you be. You know, like I, what are they trying? Like what what was the the goal for referring? To, like it's a movie. I'm getting yeah. way too into it, but I'm just like interested in like the deeper aspects of everything like what is it what were they trying to do with referring to them as that because very clearly it wasn't like they were running and they were super swift and like crazy it was like there's they're just people that are just not right yeah yeah to my understanding they didn't i don't think john russo or george romero ever actually said that yeah this was made to be, to be this. Yes, I, 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 but I feel like with all horror, people are going to see what they want to see anyway. So I think, yeah. like you said, people are going to take it and read it the way that they that they that makes it understanding for them. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, another fun fact about this that kind of ties into the Vietnam War. Um, Tom Savini was originally supposed to do the makeup for this movie. Uh, yeah. It would have been like one of his first mm-hmm. makeup jobs, special effects jobs, because he had met. George Romero and George was Romero. Was he drafted? Yeah. He he had got sent to Vietnam, so he wasn't able to do it, which he was able to redeem himself. He did the makeup for Day of the Dead, and he also directed the 1990 remake of this. That's yeah. crazy. I didn't know he was a veteran. Yeah. So uh, he was drafted, and he that's why he wasn't able to do it. He, yeah, he would uh, take pictures a lot. Um, I don't know his specific role in the war, but one of them involved He was a war photographer. There you go. Okay, yeah. so that's how he got his idea for like makeup effects because he's seen like the real shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was uh, sent over as a wartime photographer. So that's um, scary. My neighbor was really yeah. He's got some really cool like uh, his house his house burned down, but uh, before his house burnt down, um, he had like an old dark room. And he has tons of, like, really, really interesting photos. Now, uh, one thing I want to bring up. I don't remember if you brought it up when we were talking about it now or when we just recorded and it didn't record. Um, Watching movies more recently, we've seen it a lot where, especially in the 80s, the movies were cut to remove blood and gore. We were talking about it in this one. Yeah, so this... uh, this movie was actually released a month before the MPAA system came out to, you know, start rating movies. So, I know that, from what I read, George Romero cut 10 minutes of the movie out. And he didn't want to do that, but others involved with the movie kind of, like, encouraged him, hey, you should cut this out. But this movie, another first that it was, was it was the first to really depict like graphic scenes because horror movies up to this point for the most part were pretty tame you had 
certain elements like um for example when we covered black sunday which was released in 1960 we were talking about how brutal it was where she gets the mask Iron nailed Maiden. onto her yeah in the beginning you get like aspects like that but this movie I, not by today's standard but by the 60s standards was definitely graphic graphic yeah for sure um, one thing that I want to bring up, Roger Ebert, the movie reviewer, uh, he had released this statement when the movie was released in theaters. Um, he had said, or just to give some background, the movie was released at the normal time that a horror movie would be shown in theaters. Um, it was normal, just like it is today, for younger kids and teens and stuff to go see these horror movies. And you got to think, at this point... You know, coming out of the 50s, like, the sci-fi... Like, horror was fun at the same time. Um, you did get those, like, darker things, but... You know, it was something that kids could watch. Yeah, because it was stuff that they wouldn't necessarily pick up exactly. on. Exactly. So, uh, Roger Ebert had it, made this statement after the release of this movie. Uh, I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They were used... To going to movies, sure, and they'd seen some horror movies before, but this was something else. The kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped becoming, or the movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across from the aisle. Across, yeah. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat crying. It's hard to remember what sort of effect this movie might have had on you when you were six or seven, but try to remember. At that age, kids take events on screen seriously, and they identify fiercely with the hero. When the hero is killed, that's not an unhappy ending, but a tragic one. Nobody got out alive. Wait, it's just over, that's all. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I wish, I kind of wish I could have seen this in the theaters for the first time. Like, could you imagine being exposed to that and not seeing anything like that before? Like, cause like Black, what is it, uh, Black Sunday, like that was, that was an Italian movie, so. Yeah. I don't even think it really got its way over to the United States during the time it came out. Like, I'm sure it did, but I don't think it was like heavily like watched, you know? Mm -hmm. As it would be today, whereas this, like, you know, clearly it did great, so to imagine to see all these people who had never seen, like, really an on-screen stabbing. I mean, yeah, there was one in Psycho, but it's nowhere it near... It wasn't on-screen, really. Like, you didn't oh, yeah, really it's, yeah. It. it was, like, a quick cut. Yeah, yeah so you didn't... Unlike this, where you actually saw, like... The little girl. Um, <laughs> the little girl, of all people, fucking stabbing her mom. And I also love the scene uh, where Barbara first goes into the house, and she goes upstairs, and there's that woman whose face is eaten off, and her blood is, like, dripping... From the mm -hmm. top of the stairs onto the floor, like, I was like, damn, that's pretty I'm awesome. I'm so glad you brought up that scene. Um, I had noticed while watching this, I don't know if anybody else caught up, when there's important things that they want you to hear, the sound is, like, way higher than it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So, there's a, when, after Barbara sees her and Ben gets to the house, she's walking in the hallway on, next to the steps, and um, she hears, like, dripping, but it's not, it's not quiet. It's loud, very loud, yeah. and it's supposed to be something that you notice, and it does. Uh, I think it. I think it acts similar to the heartbeat that you hear in Evil Dead, mm -hmm. where it's supposed to bring up your anxiety because you hear the blood dripping, and then she's touching the wall, and then she realizes that she's touching blood, and she totally panics. Um, but that's not the only part that they do that. When there's some anything that's important, um, sound wise, they crank up the audio, mm -hmm. and it's a lot louder than what. That would standardly be. In it's that funny that scene. you said that because 
I, I did want to bring up sound, but kind of in a different way, and that was the lack of sound. And I think that that's what really made this movie eerie for me. Um, zombies today, you know, they're grown. Uh, yeah. yeah. These, to the point, like, when it showed them outside walking towards the house, it was silent, and they had the crickets chirping, and you just didn't hear anything. I think you could even hear, like, their, their feet in the grass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what was terrifying. It just... I would rather have something like groaning and coming towards so me than just like silently is. walking towards me. Well, and then the when thing. you finally hear that one woman who actually eats the fucking like cricket off the tree, they they really do a great job of like exemplifying that sound and bringing it up, you know, of the snapping of the cricket. Yeah, it's, like, I, really fucking cringy. I think talking about the silence of the uh, ghouls um, is that first scene in the cemetery uh, when uh, Johnny is he's taunting Barbara and, you know, doing all that, you don't know if that guy, like, you don't know if he's just an old dude stumbling around, maybe a little drunk, his wife died, I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, until he gets to her, you know, they don't look like zombies now, you know, they look like normal people, Yeah, Yeah. they just walk a little weird, so it's like, and and Barbara even says that later to Ben, she's like, I was with Johnny and he was taunting me and this man came up and I was going to apologize to him and I said, good evening, sir. And he attacked me. He was tearing me. He was tearing at my clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't know. She had no clue until he attacked her that there was something wrong. I love that. And I, I, I think said that it to adds Sarah. to the fear of it. Like you can, t- you don't know until they're there. Yeah. They're in front of you trying to eat you that they're something to be fearful something of. Something bad, yeah. I said to Sarah when we were watching it, I love that, uh, like, the first half of this movie is basically Ben just being like, shut the fuck up, Barbara. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> and then Mr. Cooper comes, and then it turns into, shut the fuck up, Mr. Cooper. <laughs> um, no, I I'm boss talk- up here, you're boss down there. Yeah, he fucking tells him how it is. You go, Ben, you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, the cinematography and, like, the lighting and all that, too. Like, the filming <laughs> styles, you had brought up two, Sierra. Um, the one scene... Oh, she's looking box. through oh. the music box, yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite scene. Um, it's towards the beginning. Um, I would say it's, it's before halfway. Uh, shortly after Ben gets there and they start boarding up the house, she walks into the living room where there's the really big, elaborate fireplace and there's a music box and she touches it. And uh, this scene also really uses sound really well. Um, the music box plays like this really haunting lullaby. But while they, when they're filming it, it spins and it opens and you can see through, but like there's parts where you can't, you know? So she's holding it up and she's looking through it and it's filming from the other side into her eyes. So you see her eyes while this thing is spinning and playing this music and it's just very eerie. Uh, they also do, um, very similar, uh, lighting effects to like the classic Universal monsters where they definitely focus the music lighting was on a lot eyes. Similar too. Uh, mm-hmm. You could see as, the music was awesome. I'd say mainly the first half of this movie was really reminiscent to like the older like Universal yeah. movies uh, with the music and where there wasn't really a lot of dialogue. It was really just watching what was happening at the screen mm-hmm. on the screen, and then the second half is where it really turns into something new, like a and, horror, horror, yeah, modern horror. It, it, this modern. really not even modern zombies. This is really. I th- I would say it's the start of modern horror yeah. as we know it. Uh, I think without this film, we definitely wouldn't have the zombies that we have today. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe somebody would have the idea, but 
I don't think we'd have the ballsy horror that we have today, which sometimes irritates me with how much stupid, pointless gore there is. But I think that this is the beginning mm-hmm. for all of that, not just the zombies. I'll start somewhere. Mm-hmm. They report the level of the mysterious radiation continues to increase steadily. So long as this situation remains, government spokesmen warn that dead bodies will continue to be transformed into the flesh-eating ghouls. All persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims unless their bodies are first disposed of by cremation. Our news cameras have just returned from covering such a search-and-destroy operation against the ghouls, this one conducted by Sheriff Conan McClellan in Butler County, Pennsylvania. So now let's go to that film report. All law enforcement agencies and the military have been organized to search out and destroy the marauding ghouls. The Survival Command Center at the Pentagon has disclosed that a ghoul can be killed by a shot in the head or a heavy blow to the skull. Officials are quoted as explaining that since the brain of a ghoul has been activated by the radiation, the plan is kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. Um, a couple of fun facts that I found about this movie. Um, Reader's Digest tried to warn people away from watching the film in 1968 by claiming if it's ever watched, it will inspire cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? Don't I'm going to say, this is nice. what I am going to say. They were eating the one, the people in the truck, like fried chicken. Well, and that's that it. leads to the like, other. I was watching that and I was like, mm. that leads to the <laughs> other fun fact. <laughs> Uh, I'm reading these right off IMDb, by the way, so if anybody's, like, checking this and saying, this motherfucker's reading it right off of IMDb, you're goddamn right I am. Anyway. We weren't uh, there. How else <laughs> would we know, fuckers? When the zombies are eating the bodies in the burnt-out truck, they were actually eating roast ham covered in chocolate sauce. The filmmakers joked Ew. that it was so nausea-inducing that it was almost a waste of time putting on the makeup on the zombies as they all ended up looking pale and sick anyway. Okay, all I'm saying is that a much better way to do this, and this is coming from my mom's wonderful cooking, make it a honey-baked ham, throw some honey in there, put some dark food coloring in it. It's going to look just as good and it's going to taste delicious too. And add some brown sugar into the honey and, like, maybe a little bit of salt because it's real good. I love that this movie was filmed in black and white also. And that was, um... You can watch a colored version of Sunny. I have never seen it in color. I've, I've never always seen it in watched color this... and I've never had any urge to. Sam, like, I've watched this movie white. at least 30 times. I don't know how I feel about it in color. I've never and seen I've it. And I've never I've seen it, it in I color. Think I, I, liked, I like to compare and I think, I think it's really cool because, um... When I was younger, I did um, darkroom photography, and uh, it was strictly black and white photography, and then when I got older, I switched over to digital, and um, I still lean towards black and white when I take photos, um, but I've noticed that with black and white to color, there's going to be different ways that you want the contrast and brightness to be. So for me, when it's black and white, I want the contrast a lot higher, and I want it a lot darker, where when it's color, I want the contrast... I still want the contrast, like, more of a, of a middle, middle ground, and then I want the picture a bit brighter, usually. Um, so I think it's fun to see how the black and white translates into color, because they don't necessarily go through and change all of that with it. So sometimes I think it's really cool how it translates over. Uh, typically, I'm not a huge fan of it, because I like 
the way the black and white set up with the contrast, I prefer that over to the color with the same contrast as black and white. Usually you have to tweak it to make it look like really nice. So, but I like to see, see how it changes the mood and the tone. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I think maybe one of these days I'll watch it in color, but I'm so used to watching this movie in black and white that it just, it feels almost wrong. Like, I understand, like, yes, there's the remake in 1990, and that one I enjoy, but I almost look at it as kind of its own thing. Yeah. Whereas if I watch this version in color, I don't know. It just seems wrong, but I feel like I should do it just to compare it. See, I did that with, um... With Carnival of Souls when we covered it. it I watched it, it in black and white. Field. Yeah, I watched it in black and white and I watched it in color and it felt like a totally different movie. I preferred the black and white one because to me, black and white in certain aspects is creepier. Um, yeah. Especially when you have, like you had said, Sear, when you have movies like this that were made with the contrast and the lighting for black and white, showing them in color almost takes away from that a little bit. The only movie that we've seen recently that I think is understandable with the colors variation would be Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you're But that was more like a tinting. That wasn't even It wasn't color even color, exactly. Um, it's tinting. I just want to bring up, and it's totally off topic. Well, it's like about the movie, but it's off topic from what we're talking about. Um, the woman who played Barbara is like literally, like I, she's like literally one of the prettiest women I've ever seen. Like major girl crush. She is so fucking pretty. Like it makes me almost mad how pretty she is. That's so. what you were waiting to say this whole time. Yeah, like I just, <laughs> you know, I always, you know, I always point out the babes. She is so gorgeous. Like, God damn. does point out the babes, y'all. God damn. Um, her husband was a lucky man if she had one. So, uh, this movie, I, I'm I'm not gonna get too much into it because when we cover the later movies, we can talk about it a little more, but. Um, I don't know if I want to cover the later movies. This movie, it, it's in public domain. It had no copyright, so you can go watch it now. Do you think that bothers George Romero? I'm sure. I, I didn't look too much into it, but I do know that um, George Romero went on to make Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead without John Russo. And John Russo went on to make Return of the Living Dead, in which George Romero... Rains. George Romero sued him for, like, pretty much copying. Yeah, they even make mention of the movie Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. He's like, like, you ever watch that movie? It's based on a true story. (laughs) Yeah, it... He... It it caused a huge legal battle. Um, Romero said that Russo was kind of, like, using the name to... I was trying to figure out for two days film. which one where the zombies literally say brains, and Dylan's like, I don't think any yeah, of them Yeah, it's talk. definitely I like, Return. I was like, no, it's one of them, so I Googled it. It is. It's Return of the Living Dead, and I like saw one, and it's like a zombie. Like It's really cheesy looking. It's like, I cannot wait till the day we decide to cover that. <laughs> I, I'm kind of bummed we're not doing it this month, because the con that we're going to this month, it has like a reunion of the whole fucking cast. That's yeah. so awesome, man. Lene Quigley was so fucking hot. That was the first First time I ever saw tits. I, I convinced my gothic babysitter to let me watch it. My gothic, and she did. Yeah, bro. But, she was um, total fucking goth. Yeah. So, anything else you guys want to talk about? Night of the Living Dead. Eh, man. 
I, I thought it was very dark, not only to have Ben fucking killed, which totally bummed yeah. me, but even, like, the newspaper kind of clippings at the end. Yeah, that was... It just kind of was, like, a very surreal moment, like... That brought me back to, like, um, the remake of uh, Texas Chainsaw, how they do the, like, police reports at the end. Of yeah, the yeah. And I wasn't trying to bring up Texas Chainsaw, that's yeah, why I No, really but I see where you're coming But, like, Looking when I was watching that, that I was like, oh, okay, so it's, like, a similar thing to make it feel more real. Yeah, and it definitely kind of did. And I did bring up the, the original news- one, so it doesn't count. Fuck you. <laughs> it, it, did, it did have that kind of real sense of feeling with the newspaper clippings and everything. Yeah. Just the way it ended, it was such a dark ending. Ciro, Ciro was pretty angry. I, I, I was didn't upset. Mind it. No. I'll mind go it. ahead and say no. it. No. I'll be that asshole. Ben? I didn't mind it because I don't. Th- I think that if he would have survived, it would have been. More of a predictable ending. It's what you it were expecting, been, yes, and you weren't expecting him to die. And yeah, sure, it's kind of sad. I You're like, okay. oh, poor Ben. But remember that it made the movie better. Remember that thing that the Ebert guy said. Yes, about that the six, Ebert guy. Yeah, Ebert about guy. the six-year-olds going and they take it very serious, and when their hero dies at the end, it's not a sad ending; it's a tragic ending. Yes. I am that six-year-old little girl that's like wants the heroes to always win. You've heard it here, guys. She's finally admitted. I don't. I don't care about the heroes winning, but Ben was such a fucking good guy, man. Like, I'm glad. If I was in that situation, I would have followed him all the way to the end. Yeah, absolutely. I would have been like Ben. Like, here's my. I got your back, homeboy. Like, we we got this. I'm glad that he died, and I will say my reasoning. How come we are always on the same page about this? I agree with Erica that it was not predictable. B, it made for a darker movie. Yep. And C, it opened up doors to expand the universe. So Romero went on to make Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, which are amazing fucking movies. But had Ben lived, and with the success of this movie, I can guarantee you they would have just been, oh, Ben's back to fight more zombies. Ben's back for the sequel. No. They made their own expanded... would have been the Bruce Campbell of the zombie universe. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly Um, it. I, Dylan went there. Good. I, I love you guys. Out. I will forever love you guys, your family. But I'm sorry. She's basically telling us to fuck off, and the only ben reason is, she's not is because we're family. Ben, oh, he shouldn't have died, man. He shouldn't have died. He shouldn't have. He was such a good character, and he was the only one that was like, and like, he's the only one dedicated to it. And no, no, he was the hero. He should have won. He should have lived. I'm sorry. Like, and those cops should have been fired. They should have been put in jail. Well, I don't really think they cared what was going on. Yeah, I was going to say, was... that was probably the least of their concerns. No, yeah. they did know. They're fucking assholes. There's no way of anybody knowing, though. Because... He had a gun in his hand. He's clearly not a fucking zombie. Shut I know that, up. but I mean, the cops aren't going to get in trouble. It's the first zombie movie, too. You got to understand, they didn't have solid rules yet, okay? Now, if this was, like, today... Oh, yeah, no, that? no. Talking about the not solid rules, um, all of them drove to the house, but there was only one truck... And how did, we don't know how the people got from the lake to the house. They didn't have a car. I think, no, what happened. And I know that I one think, person's car was flipped. And yeah, we know yeah, the Cooper's car was, the, was. Where was the, the one couple's car? Tom and, Tom and Judith. No, they just, I think they were from the area and they just walked to the lake. Okay, okay, okay. And then, uh, uh, the Coopers, oh, yeah, their car got flipped. Oh yeah, he was the only one who knew, who knew where the closest yeah. place was. He's like, oh yeah, 17 miles. Okay, and then Ben the just kind of stole that truck. Yeah, yeah I gotta so. leave. Let's get in the rating. I'm sorry. All right. All right.
You want me to go first? Yeah. Since I always go last and I'm the most important go, role in Gilly, why do you do that? Uh, <laughs> without a doubt, in my mind, solid 10 out of 10. I would not even imagine rating this movie any lower. Um, I love that we went back and revisited it because it's been so long since I've seen it. And I can look at it now, like I have with a lot of movies that we've covered that I haven't seen since I was younger. I can look at it with a new Greater appreciation. appreciation. And this movie, the filming, the sound, the soundtrack, the fucking... Every single thing in this movie is without a doubt gold. They struck gold with this one. And I feel like that's any time you have, like, an independent horror movie, even today. Like, you, you you do get the bad ones, but I can say that a majority of my favorite horror movies that I've seen are independent films. Uh, Carnival of Souls. <coughs> yes, Sarah. Carnival of Souls. So, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. Without a doubt, go, ten out it. of ten. Yo, Terrifier's making waves. Just saying. Yeah, I gotta check it out. I, um, I know get that on that. All Hallows Eve is like everybody said it sucked, which is why I kind of didn't. It, it's it. not bad, honestly. I enjoyed All Hallows Eve. Uh, part two sucked for sure, but this this was yeah. Get on it whenever you get the chance. Right. Steven, you wanna go next? Sure. Um, yes, this movie is an absolute fucking 10. I can, I've literally watched this movie 30 times. I, this is one of those movies where no matter what scene it's on, I could sit down from that scene and continue it and just like be completely happy. I, this movie is fucking perfect. I love the set, the sounds, um, that they really, uh, what is it? I'm trying to fucking think of the word, not exemplify. Um, the sounds that they highlight when it's very quiet and then there's a, that kind of just shocking moment. I love those moments. I love the early gore. I thought it was very heavy for its time. And we would not have zombies, I don't think, in the way that we do today if it wasn't for this movie. This movie is a fucking masterpiece. So, yeah, ten. Erica, since you're trying to know over there, fuck you got? hate you guys. I wanted to be off the 10 kick. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like, can we just watch something that's shitty? Yes. We did, the other day. M. Night Shyamalan next week. M. Night Shyamalan next week. There'll be at least two. There'll be at least two really bad ones. Alright. We gotta watch M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. It's a 10. I mean, it's it's a classic, and it's pretty fucking perfect. I hate that. I hate that this movie. So I good. hate. I hate that I have to give out another ten, but it it really is. It's definitely. It's a solid ten. There's no way around it. And I feel like if you were to give it anything lower, you're it's doing it in trash. You're trash. Yeah, well, you're shit bag. Here comes Sierra. No, I'm fuck kidding. it all up. <laughs> I'm not gonna fuck anything up. Uh, I honestly think this is one of the greatest horror movies ever, and I wouldn't. It's a classic horror film, obviously, but um, I wouldn't even consider it in the same realm as, as the standard classic films. Uh, I absolutely everything about this screams modern horror to me. Um, I think that they do an amazing job at creating anxiety and fear, and they make the zombie apocalypse seem possible, uh, which I don't think any film has done since. I think this is the perfect bridge between. Modern and classic. Yeah, I do. I, I agree. I think that this is this is the movie that changed it. 
this is this changed everything and I think when I think older horror films I you know you enjoy them but a lot of times you do think like it's cheesy and you know it's it's not scary but this film is is not that at all it's it's very terrifying and and it's it this can destroy destroy you with feelings from beginning to end Mm -hmm. like literally like you know um everything about it it's so it's so well done and they killed it like the lighting the filming the acting there wasn't a single bad actor in the film like hands down everything was... i think that's the best thing about this mm-hmm. is that the acting was absolutely it was phenomenal. it was it was amazing and uh the way that the characters interacted was so realistic because you're not going to get along with everybody and you're not going to see eye to eye with everybody especially when the world's burning down and around for you. them mm-hmm. for them to to touch on the guy that wants to save everybody, the guy who wants to save himself, the young couple that don't know better but they want to help. You know, they touch on so many important characters. Uh, it's it's just it's it's baffling how well they can do that in this film. Um, it's easily a ten, easily eleven, twelve, fifteen, twenty. Like you. Honestly, I just want to say this is the first time that we've given a movie a perfect score with death threats. Yeah, <laughs> towards one another. Yeah, for honestly, fucking up anyway. um, this this movie is probably the greatest horror film I would say, probably ever. So better than Texas? It's Texas. Okay, I love. Don't Texas. answer that. No, no, I'm answering this. <laughs> now question. you started it. I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The thing is, is that Texas Chainsaw it's Massacre. It's a personal thing. Yeah, that's that's personal taste. This is technicalities. This movie is by all technicalities. This is a better made movie now personally do i still love texas chainsaw massacre well yeah i'm just saying like if you had to judge these movies by technical yeah on on technicalities yeah not preference or taste absolutely movie Um, against movie i hate zombie movies generally um a lot of older films bore me this movie did everything perfect so if that doesn't clear up how awesome this movie is yeah it's it's this this movie is this movie changed the game for everybody. It made it opened doors for new filmmakers. All I'm going to say is this movie was perfect, and George should have stopped at zombie movies after this. I'm a beg to differ because I thoroughly enjoy Dawn and Day, but yeah, everything this else is the, was this, spot on. This is the height of his stuff. Uh, that's that's hands down. I've watched all of his all of his maybe not all of them because he has he's got a bunch. But I've I've seen the the major ones, the older ones, and this is this was the height of it. If you're not going to make something better, don't make it. And that's my thing is is improve on what you're doing. There should always be, <laughs> especially when you come out and you say and you make a standard so high, you can't make something that doesn't live up to that standard that's high. I disagree because I mean. Dylan's just looking to start a war today. You can't always you can't always strike gold. So if you're if he had fun making zombie movies and he enjoyed doing it, yeah, I'm not going mean, to say don't do it because it's not going to be as good as the no, first okay, one. No, okay, okay. I'm not okay. First off, I'm not coming out nasty, so don't put that tone in my voice because I will come after you once we get off the fucking air. Okay. I'm scared. What you should be. Right, I, was, I was threatening as Let's wrap this episode up. <laughs> All I'm saying is Everybody's that this, Dylan. this was hands down, in my opinion, his best movie. I think that he got carried away with the zombies. And, and I think that that's my problem with zombies in general is that after this film, zombies took over 
a big. Here's the thing. Okay, so not to not to drag up old things, but you see how outdone zombies were, yeah. Especially with Romero and how he did. He kept going with it. Back now. Imagine, imagine if your dude hadn't died. Adding that into mix into the same mix. Yeah. Like it would have been so fucking played out, like beyond played out. It's I, I wonder if George A. Romero got to the point where he's like, Why why just stop copying I my shit, man? Hate- oh, I'm sure he did. Like just stop. <laughs> I did zombies. At you some do point, ghosts. Yeah. You can go and do fucking I don't know. I'm kind of creatures. excited. His uh his son is like developing uh, like Night of the Living Dead Origins. And he was working on it with George Romero before he passed away. I wonder mm. if they can, though, for that reason. No, they're still working on it. I hope they take it back to, like, the 60s where it all, like, started, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. I would love to see them come out I with an, a black and white one. fucking solid. I think it'd be mm. really cool to see another black and white zombie. I think it would be great to keep that kind of, like, classic look about it, but people are going to shit all over that. Yeah. No yeah. respect these days, though. No, people, kids. people want to see see color, yeah. and and I think that's a that's a big thing in the '60s is why a lot of people chose to do black and white was that it kept the ratings down, um, or the, the gore. It wasn't considered as gory well, if, the the reason col- that if the blood wasn't red. It also, <laughs> which is why with, a lot of films went with green blood sometimes. It also had to do with budget too. Like this movie was shot in black and white solely because it was cheaper to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think had they had a bigger budget, it would have been in color, but I don't think it would have been as effective if yeah. it had been in color. So it worked out for them in the end. All right. But, I guess with that, we got 30 seconds and it could be a perfect hour. Oh, no, I'm adding some clips in, boy. Well, yeah, but we're, there's, probably, there's probably shit to cut out, too. All right. So we want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast. Remember, on Twitter we, uh, at Horror underscore Haven. Um, I wasn't going to say anything. I changed my mind because I realized that this film is going to be out after we stream the movie. Uh, If you joined us for the live stream on Facebook where we live stream this movie, thanks, guys. Can they, like, comment live on that, too? Yeah. Oh, sweet. So we can, like, chat with y'all. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, wherever you listen to us, and give us a rating, even if it's a bad one. If everybody's an administrator in the page, if we have chats on there, can everybody partake in that? Should be able to. Um, tune in next week. We are going to be covering. Say it, Sierra. M Night Shalomalan. 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 We're we're doing this solely to hear Sierra butcher his name. For it is that was the only reason I picked that, and that's also my favorite card in Cards Against Humanity. What movies are we covering? Um, we're going to be covering Signs, Devil, and The Visit. I really want to do the happening. Fucking good luck with that. I really want to do the happening. Sierra wanted to do the happening. No, Lady in the Water. Okay, just okay. Off subject, Lady in the Water. I bought the book because it was a children's book that he wrote for his daughters. It is one of Nora's favorite books, and that book is fucking creepy. Really? Yeah, the book's way creepier than the movie. I want to get the Babadook book. He did Sixth Sense, too, but I feel like that's something that you could do an entire episode on, just because of how big that movie was. And I don't know if I necessarily consider Sixth Sense for... I I guess it is. I don't know. Isn't that uh, Haley Joel Osment? Yeah, he sees Yeah. Alright, have a good night, guys. I think that's his only movie that ever got cool. Yeah. Like, that, that was the one. You did good, M. Night Shalomalan. Oh my gosh. What? Shalomalan. Good night. <laughs> good night. That's how you say Later. it. Later. Bye.
Chief, uh, if I were surrounded by six or eight of these things, would I stand a chance with them? Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot them in the head. That's a sure way to kill them. If you don't, get yourself a club or a torch. Beat them or burn them. They go up pretty easy. Well, Chief McClellan, how long do you think it will take you until you get the situation under control? Well, that's pretty hard to say. We don't know how many of them there are. We know when we find them, we can kill them. Are they slow-moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Well, uh, in time, would you say you ought to be able to wrap this up in 24 hours? Well, we don't really know. We know we'll be into it most of the night, probably into the early morning. We're working our way toward Willard, and we'll team up with the National Guard over there, and then we'll be able to give a more definite view. Thank you very much, Chief McClellan. This is Bill Cardill, WIC-TV 11 News.